Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Summer Update 3. Today was the day that the Women's World Cup round of 16 officially ended. So we are going to look back on our predictions and then make our predictions for the quarterfinals. As always, I am joined by my comrade and brother-in-arms, Chuck Smith, but we all... We are also joined by a young lad making his podcast debut, our Twitter meister, Tom Adams. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing awesome, Jake. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Tom, how have you been? Very good. Very excited to be a part of the uh, the official dynamic duo here at Bavarian Podcast Works, and uh, let's hope I don't mess up. Well, we're really glad to have you on, and we're happy to have you uh, here with us to talk about some women's soccer. So we'll start off by going over all of the games. Tom is going to tell us about the teams that left. Chuck is going to tell us about the match and what he thinks about that. And then, after then, we are going to give our predictions for who we think is going to move on to the semi-finals. So let's start close to home, at least our homes. The United States defeating Spain 2-1 in full time. We are going to go right into the controversy because some people would say the U.S.'s second goal should not have happened. It was a penalty given because Rose Lavelle had a foot on her shin and she went down in the box. Megan Rapino converted it easily and also converted an earlier penalty kick and that sent the United States women's national team off to this big matchup against France. So, Chuck, what did you think of this match overall? And more importantly, being a Rose Lavelle fan yourself, did you think that that was a penalty well to hit the penalty first i do think it was a penalty was it a soft penalty probably but nonetheless the location of where it happened the contact it was unfortunate for spain but i do have to agree that it was a penalty it was bad timing i I mean and the thing that's really i guess disappointing is spain had really done just about everything to frustrate the united states in that game And they played about as well as they could. To see it end that way was a a little disappointing just because of the spirit that Spain had played with. But I have to really, you know, you have to really give the United States some credit for being able to pull that out. Granted, I mean, everyone knows the U.S. is, you know, they were superior. They were superior in just about every way, talent-wise, depth-wise. But Spain just, they're one of those teams that we've been talking about. They're young. Uh, they've made an investment in that women's program, and you can really see that, you know, in four years, eight years, that's they're going to be a powerhouse. So, yeah, overall, the United States, they did what they had to do. They, they escaped with a victory. Uh, I think that they need to do some soul searching in-house to figure some things out. They were not as uh, precise. They were not as sharp as they should have been. And I think in the beginning of the game, they almost looked like they were pressing a little too much, taking shots that they that they probably forced and just making bad decisions overall. The wings didn't really get involved in the game. And, you know, I, from my perspective, I was disappointed with the effort from the U.S., but it doesn't mean that they are, you know, on the way down. They just really need to regroup. You heard it here first going off your idea that Spain is going to do really well in the next four years. My 
prediction for the next Women's World Cup. Spain will be one of the finalists. They are such a good team. They are such a dynamic team, uh, but they just weren't able to pull it out of their uh, pull it out of their hat this time. Tom, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, La Roja in this tournament? Well, just to kind of piggyback off of what Chuck had said, I, I do think in the opening stages of the game, they did have a lot of success. You know, making the U.S. uncomfortable playing out of the back. Um, you know they did have a few a few good chances coming off of the uh, the high press, not allowing the U.S. to make those passes that they wanted to make. Um, and then I think, especially with the uh, the goal, I'm not really sure what Alyssa Nair was trying to do there, or if she had some kind of shout uh, from Becky Sauerbund to play her that ball short. But I think that gave you an example of uh, Spain being in the right places defensively, high up the pitch. And then obviously it was a fantastic finish to uh, to level the game and a very, very costly error for the uh, the U.S. to make. And again, also to, to piggyback off of what Chuck said, I did see a lot of uh, Spain doing everything they could to kind of force the issue um, and make the U.S. play as uneasy as possible, including uh, I'm sure everyone remembers how long the VAR decision took for uh, Megan Rapinoe's second penalty. Alex Morgan had initially stepped up to take that penalty as a left footer, um, I think there was about maybe three or four Spain players who were standing right on the spot, literally playing with the ball, which I, I guess is apparently allowed uh, with, with sportsmanship conduct, just to kind of, uh, I guess, piss her off and make her uneasy. And I don't know if it was a pre-planned thing or if they said, okay, the goalkeeper's getting ready to, you know, stop a shot from a left footer, so why don't we go ahead and switch it back to Rapino, who's a right-footed shooter, and then she wound up tucking it away to the same bottom left corner that she had for the first penalty. But again, Spain doing everything they could to kind of get under the skin of the U.S. And I think to a certain degree, it really did work. Um, and then I think another thing, too, when they played direct, I think they had the most success. You know, they were able to uh, get in between those lines between the U.S.'s back four uh, and, and the midfield. And I think they had a lot of success there. And I think it's shown at the end of the game when they really didn't have any other option other than to play direct because they were chasing the game. Perhaps a bit unlucky to have conceded those two controversial, if you will, penalties, a bit soft. But I think the U.S., again, uh, as you guys had mentioned, very lucky to escape this 1-2-1. That was very far from the U.S.'s best performance, so they really need to uh, sharpen up, go back to the drawing board before Friday. And in speaking of Friday, the United States will be playing the French national team. The host country was able to pull out a 2-1 win over Brazil after extra time, which I believe going back to last podcast, I called that it would be in extra time. I even think that I said 2-1, so if I got this right on the head, then I would be absolutely ecstatic, but... Phenomenal play from both teams, really. Uh, there was a phenomenal goal line clearance in extra time. Henri had a phenomenal goal to send Le Bleu into the quarterfinals. Chuck, what did you think about this game? Uh, what did you think of the play of the Brazilian women as well? I thought that, uh, <clears throat> you know, I really thought that Brazil played an excellent game. I did not expect them to be able to. To push France as much as they did, uh, you know, when when I looked at this game initially, I thought that Brazil would start out tough and really press France a little bit, and then France's superior talent and depth would just take over. But that didn't happen. 
And I think what this game did was tell us a little bit about France in that I think they thought they were going to have a little bit easier time against Brazil than what they actually had. But in the end, they still were able to muscle out a victory. And I think you saw really with France what what the challenge is going to be for the United States. This is going to be a phenomenal matchup. As for Brazil, I mean, they did a they did a phenomenal job just to get the game to that point. You could really see how much it meant to those players. They really poured everything into the game. And, you know, you really can't say enough about the spirit and effort that they put forth. Now, Tom, uh, Marta gave this impassioned speech after the end of the game, talking about how the young women in Brazil need to work hard on their game and embrace the idea and the potential that they could be the next Marthas or the next Christianis. Uh, what did you think of that speech? And do you think that Marta's uh, legacy doesn't need to uh, be cemented despite this uh, early elimination for the Brazilians? Yeah, I mean, a player like Marta, you know, her reputation, reputation, excuse me, precedes herself. She absolutely needs no introduction. One of the greatest women's players to have ever lived and to have ever played the sport. I think if there's anyone listening out there um, or perhaps even reading the uh, the piece that's associated with this podcast, if you have not yet heard that speech or at least seen the actual video of it, you, you definitely need to go check it out because it's an important message that she's sending. Uh, and, and it's true. It, it really is going to um, help better the women's game, get more people interested, make sure it stays on the map. Um, and, and everything she said was true. Um, and I think, again, to, to piggyback off of what Chuck had said, Brazil in that game, uh, I think both teams kind of rolled their luck at, at certain points. I think um, Brazil kind of got lucky in the opening half when um, Francis Heder was ruled out. Uh, another controversial, controversial decision there with VAR. Uh, I've gone on Twitter. I've seen maybe 50% of the people saying the goalkeeper had possession, about 50% of people saying she didn't. Uh, but again, by that same token, you know, France also uh, rode their luck too. I think it was Dabinia had that shot in the uh, the first period of extra time. It was cleared off the line. Um, so I think you had a, another example of both teams riding their luck, as I said, and, and level pegging, and then just a brilliant, brilliantly worked uh, set piece and a brilliant finish from uh, Henri, the French captain. And I think with that uh, defending from Brazil on the set piece should be a, uh, a really good reminder uh, for the U.S. going into Friday's game of how they can't fall asleep defensively um, and they really need to stay sharp. So we could talk about the next game on this side of the bracket, uh, a 3-0 win for England over Cameroon, but there's something that I want to touch on first. Uh, it was the England coach's comments. Phil Neville, in a long answer to the BBC after the win, uh, was talking about the actions and the behavior of Cameroon. He said, quote, There are young girls that are playing all over the world that are seeing that behavior. For me, it's not right, and I can't stand here and say that. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. We're into the last 16. Uh, there's a bigger picture. It's a quarterfinal, so there's a bigger picture here. There's a certain standard of behavior that we've got to do. So, instant reactions on Twitter. Some people were calling this racist. Some people were saying that Neville went out of line. Some people were saying that he was right because the Cameroon players 
were a little emotional after their loss, which, of course, this was the first World Cup, uh, the first Women's World Cup where two African nations moved on to the knockout stage. And Cameroon was really in a group where they weren't expected to go on far, but they were able to make it. They made it through a very, very good effort. Cameroon's a very strong and a very smart smart team as well but for some people at least their emotions got the better of them so I'm going to start with Chuck and then I'm going to ask Tom one what did you think of Cameroon's actions and two what did you think of Phil Neville's reaction to them well I think you know with the the reactions from Cameroon obviously there was a lot of frustration there they felt like they were wronged um, and, you know, there were multiple instances there where in their minds, uh, you know, things went against them. So I, I get to a certain extent that they were frustrated. They were angry. Uh, this was a huge moment in all of their lives, um, you know, and, and things boiled over. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it, it was perceived by some to be over the top. Uh, I think in the end. Um, you know, obviously we all would love to be able to say we're all going to take losing with grace, right? But I think whether it's a board game, whether it is an athletic endeavor, or just a simple bet you may have with someone else, if you lose, you will be upset more than likely. So I don't fault them as much. I have to be honest. I think that, you know, there are a lot of a lot of people out there who are probably you know, a little bit holier than now, thinking that they would handle losing much more gracefully, or if they felt wronged, they wouldn't react like that. I just think it's really um, a whole lot of, of nonsense. You know, they reacted that way, and it's kind of over at this point. I know that there is some investigations into, uh, there's an investigation into, you know, I guess it's FIFA looking into uh, how Cameroon reacted and if it was over the line. But in the end, I think even with Phil Neville's comments, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think in either circumstance, the reaction by the Cameroon players or Phil Neville's comments, I think everybody just needs to take a step back. I don't think that Neville really meant anything other than trying to come across as holier than now. And, you know, I think that that's biggest, that's the biggest problem here. Everybody is just a little too reactionary and looking for something to comment on and react to. Listen, they were upset. Uh, they were verbally and physically showing it, and that's okay. Uh, it was a big moment in their lives. If I just lost a World Cup game that I worked my entire life to get to, that I had a whole nation rooting behind me, I might react that way too. And, uh, you know, looking at Neville's comments, I, I, you know, I don't know that there was anything racist about it. I mean, ill-timed maybe. But, you know, it's just the whole thing. I think everyone just needs to move on and, and let this Cameroon team look back at their accomplishments and, and maybe not focus as much on the frustration of one failure. Just to kind of piggyback off of off of what Chuck said, I mean, he kind of hit, you know, uh, the nail on all heads there, so to speak, even though a nail only has one head. But and I mean, and this pains me because. Uh, obviously, a lot of guys in the or a lot of people in the BFW community know I'm also a massive Liverpool supporter. In addition to Bayern Munich, uh, so Phil Neville obviously has a well-decorated career with both Manchester United and Everton, two clubs I absolutely despise. But I think, as a manager of the club, you're supposed to be held to a uh, a higher standard than the players. And the fact that he said those things after the game, 
after the game, while it might bear some truth, for me, it's kind of unnecessary for him to say that. I think everyone who was watching that game and who even just saw highlights of that game could see uh, how much the frustration from Cameroon was visible. There were a lot of controversial calls, and as Chuck said, I really do think that they let their emo- their emotions get the better of them You know, with, with all the calls that were going against them. But I still think England were the better side on the day. Cameroon were not. Yes, it's their first World Cup. Yes, it was uh, one of their first knockout stage matches. But, you know, that that can't go ahead and nullify or give you a get-out-of-jail-free j- get card to, you know, commit silly fouls or put, you know, players' health uh, at risk. And, you know, I can see where the frustration comes from. But at the end of the day, for me, I think Neville has to collect himself. I think he has to calm his emotions before he's talking and, and just take the win uh, and move on. You know, they won the game. They have a big game coming up. They need to get through to the next round. And I, I think he probably would have been better off not saying that. But again, it's tough to say, you know, we're not in their shoes, but moving on. Moving on to uh, the team that England will be playing in the quarterfinals. It is Norway. They were able to defeat Australia by going the very, very distance. They beat the Matildas 4-1 on penalties. Now, looking back on it, Australia was really one of those teams that uh, we thought maybe even had a chance of making the World Cup final. Uh, Not the case this time tom i'll start with you uh what did you think of this australia team in uh this tournament and then chuck i'll ask you about the uh about the game and the performance so uh if you could try to avoid the game tom that would be that would be good yeah so again coming into this one i I think australia had a great tournament and i i think they always knew they were going to have a difficult opponent in norway um and you just have to feel so bad for Sam Kerr. I mean, in this game, she both had a goal disallowed uh, for an offside decision, a marginal, marginal offside decision, and then um, stepping up and missing the penalty in the shootout. Some would actually argue that she's the best player in the game. You, you just felt you felt terrible for her. And, and I really do think that just the red card in the second half for Australia just unfortunately changed everything, you know, after going one nil down and then fighting so, so hard to force the issue and, and equalize. I I just, I just think that red card tilted everything in Norway's favor, but credit to Australia to uh, defending tough and, you know, still taking their chances when they were breaking forward as Norway were committing, you know, realizing that they were one woman up, you know, really trying to, uh, to grab that winner before extra time. But uh, you, you just you just have to feel for Sam Kerr in Australia, the Matildas, for losing out in penalties. But you know, credit to Norway for getting the job done. So, Chuck, we both thought that Australia had a somewhat disappointing campaign leading up to this uh, knockout stage. How do you think that they are going to look back on this tournament uh, a couple years down the line as they're getting ready to prepare for the next World Cup. Oh, yeah, I think this is definitely a learning experience. And I know they've they've had some turmoil within their coaching ranks and on their roster as they prepared for this World Cup. And I think that, you know, they'll look back and they'll be disappointed. I mean, they have a player who is among the best at her craft, and they had a great supporting cast from what I could see. And... I have to be honest, they, they really just underperformed in this tournament. Now, granted, Norway, I think, is is very tough. I think that 
they have a great balanced squad. And I think they're one of the teams that really was underrated. It's In fact, it probably was one of the worst possible matchups that Australia could have gotten for this round. And the thing that I, I keep focusing on is what would Norway look like if Ida Hedberg would have played? How great would they be? Because I've been completely impressed with the Norwegians. And, uh, you know, it's just it was very unfortunate for Australia to run into a team like that. You know, it's it's kind of sad because you hate to see a player like Sam Kerr kind of go out like she did. I think, you know, if you gave her 100 penalty kicks, 99 would not go like that one did for her. So it's it was heartbreaking to watch her experience that and just heartbreaking overall to watch Australia not be able to live up to what we thought they could do. Moving on to the other side of the bracket, starting with the games that happened earlier on Tuesday. Uh, we'll start with the earlier game, Italy defeating China 2 nothing. Uh, we love the Steel Roses for their nickname and for their uh, tenacity, but uh, going into the knockout stages, they had a goal difference of zero, and that is because they scored one goal and gave up one goal. So goal scoring wasn't really their uh, their forte, and I guess that really showed here in this game, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that when you when you look at everything, Italy turned out to be one of the more exciting and fun to watch teams in this tournament. China is another one of those teams that didn't live up to expectations. Uh, I thought that China never really got in sync over the course of this tournament. Uh, you know, they it's not that they're a bad team. It's not that they lack talent. There just wasn't the cohesion there that you saw with teams like Italy. I was I have really just came away thoroughly impressed with the Italian side. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in the next round. Now, Tom, this China team, like I mentioned before, they didn't really score a lot of goals. Uh, they had one of the best players in all of Asia on their team, and she didn't really make much of an impact throughout this entire uh, entire tournament. Uh, do you think, or what? What do you think the next steps are for this Chinese team as they uh, as they take a break from competition well the one thing i've noticed about them and this goes even further back beyond the start of the world cup when they had um a friendly against the united states a lot of what i notice you know if if there was a tournament based on possession and tidy possession you know i, I think china would definitely be one of the teams that would be right up there so they just do so well with distributing the ball amongst themselves you know Keeping possession of the ball, I think even in the Italy game, they, they outpossessed Italy quite a bit, um, you know, partially because Italy had scored so early on in the first half. But again, one of the things I really noticed about the team is just the possession without any bite. It's almost as if there's this uh, inability. I don't, even, I don't know if it's an inability or just a reluctancy to play direct. It seems like they always just want to pass their way uh, into the attacking third, and they always want to... Almost, almost pass the ball into the back of the net instead of taking chances or playing a long ball, you know, letting an attacker run onto it. It's just something that you don't really ever see them do, even when they're chasing the game, which, which they've done a lot of in this tournament, especially um, when they were uh, trailing against Italy and then gave up that second goal in the second half. But uh, So I think 
a big a big step for them going forward is maybe figuring out that last piece you know clearly they don't have a problem passing the ball amongst themselves keeping tidy possession but it's just that grit and that that bark and that that bite so to speak going forward that i just don't see you know maybe maybe uh, fluctuating their tactics to to kind of know when to play direct and, and when to really go at the opponent when to high press and, and you know switch up the tactics um and and stray away from just worrying about keeping possession of the ball so to speak and, and i hope to see that in the future tom was very right by the way in terms of those possession statistics italy won the tur- won the game and advanced in the tournament on 37 percent possession moving on to the team that they will play in the next round for some people this was a bit of a shocker uh japan getting eliminated by the netherlands two to one uh yet another controversial penalty coming very late in the game it was a handball in the box Uh, It was reviewed by uh, VAR, and the penalty was given, and the Netherlands converted that opportunity and saw them advance to the quarterfinals. Uh, I guess I'll ask you the same question as I did with the USA game, Chuck. Uh, One, did you think that was a penalty? And two, uh, how do you think this game panned out overall? Yeah, I mean, looking at the penalty, and it's funny because when in real time, I wasn't sure. And then when I saw the replay, I, I thought that it was clear that Saki Humagai's arm was clearly extended and it the contact was made there. It was one of those situations where I think VAR probably helped out. I know it's controversial because every handball is <laughs> controversial. Um but in the end, I think the call was right, and I think that the Netherlands, uh, while they may have shocked some in this tournament, I think, Jake, we were a couple of people that were impressed by them coming into the World Cup, and I think they lived up to expectations. Uh, they just had, they have some great players uh, in this tournament. I thought they played exceptionally well. Uh, I did expect probably a little more from Japan, but... In the end, they just could not finish, and I think that that was the biggest issue that they had on the pitch. I was absolutely impressed by this Dutch team, which, reminder, they do include two Bayern players, uh, Jill Roard and Lyneth Berenstain. Roard didn't come on until very late in this game. Berenstain, I believe, was also a substitution, but both contributed. Tom, looking back on uh, the performances from the uh, Narashiko, they are the one-time World Cup champions, two-time World Cup finalists. Uh, Bowing out in the round of 16 has to hurt, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean... And we we have to put it out on this podcast. I mean, the fans of the Japanese men's team at last year's World Cup and the fans of this year's women's team at the World Cup, just, I know you've probably seen, you know what I'm talking about, the fans staying after in the stadiums and just doing their part collectively to uh, to pick up and clean up after themselves at the stadium. That's just something I love to see about the sport, uh, especially in the World Cup. And you don't see enough of that. And, and I think that they need to get the uh, the credit where credit's due on the airwaves here for that. So that's just what I wanted to start off by saying. Specifically with this this game against the Dutch, I think it was another case of like your England uh, versus Cameroon, Germany versus Nigeria. You kind of knew what you were going to get with this game. Um, Japan perhaps playing a little bit conservative because they knew of the threat uh, of the Netherlands. <laughs> and I got to be honest, I, I want to know, did Martins mean to do that flick uh, exactly how it went? 
or did she perhaps get a bit lucky or or not touch that on the right part of her foot? But anyways, it seemed to bamboozle everyone, uh, including all of the Japanese defenders and the Japanese goalkeeper, and it went in the back of the net. And I think that really changed the way that uh, Japan had to go about their tactics, conceding so early as they had to obviously um, kind of chase the issue and get back in the game. And by the way, their goal, I was very, very impressed with that, the way that um, that one player just opened up with a quick touch around the defender, played that brilliant ball. I think it was Hasegawa, if I'm pronouncing that right, who timed her run perfectly, slotted it home in the upper 90. Of course, VAR, let's go check. Was it offside? Nope, perfectly timed run. One of my favorite goals of the tournament, actually. Um, and then going into the second half, you know, that Dutch keeper made a couple of key saves right at the end to, um, you know, to keep them in it. You know, credit to Japan for for getting the amount of chances they did in the second half while also trying to stay compact, um, you know, to stay mindful of the Dutch threat and then leading up to that penalty. I know you guys already discussed it. We can argue until we're blue in the face about uh, a hand in an unnatural position, but at the end of the day, uh, the penalty was given. Uh, it was converted, and the Dutch go through, but Japan, hold your heads high. Fantastic tournament from them, and I, I can't wait to see what they bring to the, the next Olympic Games and the next Women's World Cup. It will sure be interesting as the next Olympic Games are hosted in Tokyo. That home crowd will definitely be coming out and supporting them. Our next game that we are going to cover is Germany versus Nigeria. 3-0. Uh, it was probably the exact scoreline that we were all thinking. Uh, the Bayern players obviously contributing a lot there. Uh, Chuck, just we've described the German performances in the past as efficient and machine-like, I definitely think that this performance was another example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had 69% possession, nice. 79% pass accuracy. It was it was really everything that you expected out of the German team. And big credit to Nigeria for hanging in there, but Germany was just too impressive. Uh, they were too in control of the game from start to finish. And I think that this German team is so businesslike in how they approach each contest and how they really just function on the field. They're a well-oiled machine, Jake. And I think that they may not be the most exciting team, but they absolutely are the most efficient team in this tournament, like we've talked about many times. Both African teams bowing out early, both the Indomitable Lionesses, I have to plug that in there one more time, uh, the Indomitable Lionesses and the Super Falcons, Tom. Uh, Nigeria really came into this tournament with high expectations, and they uh, they met them in terms of qualifying for the knockout phase in a, uh, in a pretty close group. Uh, at the end of the day, they just weren't able to... Uh, they weren't able to convert on those opportunities, and they also had a bad draw... Do you think that there would be any other team that Nigeria may have gotten to face that they could have advanced against, or do you think that uh, do you think that this tournament really would have just ended for them at the round of sixteen, regardless? You know, it, it was kind of the the fairy tale uh, going into the the round of sixteen. Obviously, the Chilean game they missed that penalty. It hit the crossbar and cue all of the celebrations from Nigeria. The whole country goes crazy. I remember seeing a uh, video message from John Obi Mikel, former uh, Nigeria and uh, Chelsea midfielder, congratulating uh, the Nigerian Super Eagles, the women, on uh, progressing. But then, as far as uh, an opponent in the round of 16, I think they were always going to be uh, up against it. 
especially making it through as one of the, the best third-place teams. And as Chuck mentioned, you got exactly what you were expecting uh, going up against Germany. They virtually dominated in every category of this match, uh, including possession, passes, pass accuracy, shots, shots on targets. But what I do want to say is that Nigeria did have their moments going forward. You know, I think that uh, a lot of times when you have a matchup like this, um, you, you get the lesser side, so to speak, keeping the other team honest. And I think that Nigeria showed that they could have their chances on the counterattacks. And they did in the first half and the second half, respectively. Uh, and I do think that Germany was perhaps a bit lucky uh, to hold a, a clean sheet. And I think that Nigeria should be proud of the, the amount of chances they had. Obviously, they were up against it with the matchup. But again, excellent finish from Pop, the captain, the Debritz penalty questionable but i think it was the right call i think the follow-through uh it was studs up dangerous you know you're endangering the um the other player that you're that you're fouling right call and then schuler again to seal the deal with a 3-0 win i think it was kind of one-way traffic but again nigeria showed their moments they showed you know how germany can be caught out on the counterattack, and I, I think that uh and moving on to our final game sweden versus canada sorry all of our canadian uh community members christine sinclair will not be breaking abby wambach's record at least in this tournament because the sweden women's national team was able to blank the Canucks one nothing. Uh, the Blagults were able to only get that one goal in the 55th minute at the Parc de Prance. Uh, this Sweden team, kind of similar to the Germans, being efficient and uh, not really needing a lot of goals, but still being able to plug out those wins. Chuck, what did you really see in this game? And uh, extend an olive branch, if you will, to all of our Canadians out there. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. It was it was tough because I, I kind of was rooting for Canada in this one just because of all the wonderful BFW community members we have. No, you weren't. You picked Sweden. <laughs> I know. I did actually get shredded because they thought I wasn't going to write about Alfonso Davies and the Canada Gold Cup team, but they just needed to be a little more patient. But anyway, uh, Sweden in this game, uh, they did what they had to do is the easiest way to say it, but the overall grittiness and toughness that both teams put out in this game was unbelievable. I almost felt like at times it was it was like watching a hockey game because they were physical. Uh, you know, in the end, I thought that, you know, whoever was going to win this before Black Stenius scored that goal, I thought it was going to be some kind of crazy deflection that would you know, bounce off three people just because that's the way it was going. Uh, you know, the one thing that I, I found a little disappointing, and I've, I've heard this game called boring several times, and sure, it wasn't the most offensively brilliant game. There weren't a ton of moments that made you really get off your seat, but I really enjoyed the game. Uh, just to sit back and watch it and to see how these two teams went at each other, I was really impressed. I like the Swedes. They, for whatever reason, this team is just, they exude toughness. And not that Canada doesn't, but I just felt like they were a little tougher in the end. And I think that's why they were able to pull out the victory. But big credit to the Canadians. It was a good tournament. I know they wanted more. I know Sinclair definitely wanted to be around a little bit longer. But but this was a good match, and I think it was a fitting ending for Canada. It was, you know, if you're going to lose to someone, Sweden's not a bad way to go out. It was a funny thing that you made that hockey reference being two big hockey countries. Tom, a 
Christine Sinclair may have played her last game with this Canadian national team. Do you think that they feel that there may have been something left out there on the field, or uh, do you think they really... Do you think that they should be proud of the way that they performed in this World Cup? Absolutely proud. I mean, as Chaka said, people were calling this game boring, but... You know, what I would argue uh, to everyone who said that is maybe to the untrained eye. I mean, what you had with this game was uh, two sides being absolutely tactically sound, you know, and, and almost canceling each other out. You know, Sweden did get that late goal, or excuse me, the uh, the goal early on in the second half, and they had the big penalty save. But I think what you have to appreciate with both, team, both teams is the work off the ball that, you know, sometimes you wouldn't notice if you're not paying attention to it. Um, I think both teams did really well getting back and covering those spaces, making sure they got back in numbers defensively and springing forward by that same respect uh, when they were in, the, in on the attack. Um, and, and again, I just think it was tactically such a, uh, such a spectacle, both teams doing such a, good, such a good job on both sides of the ball. And I think the Canadians can consider themselves a, a bit unlucky to have lost that one. And it's a shame that Becky missed the penalty kick. But, you know, you wonder had it been someone else, would it have gone in? But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I don't think they have anything to be ashamed of. I thought Sweden and the Canadians were both very tactically sound on the day. And um, obviously the Swedes got the nod, but... Canada, hold your heads high. And now we move on to the moment you have all been waiting for, our quarterfinal predictions. We are going to start off on the same side that we are currently on. So, uh, the Italians and the Dutch. Tom, why don't you go ahead and start off by telling us what you think the score is going to be. Just based on the two performances uh, that both teams just had, um, I think that the Dutch just have, have a bit more going forward. I honestly, I think this one, I'm going to go bold and I'm going to say 2-0 to the Dutch over the Italians. I can easily see that happening. All right, I'm going to go along a similar vein. I think this Italian team is perfectly fine with playing a game, sitting in the back and letting another team possess as they did obviously with China earlier today. But the problem is I don't think that that's going to work against this Dutch team because that's exactly what they live for. I'm going to say 3-1 to the Dutch with Lyneth Berenstein scoring at least one of those three goals. Chuck, what are your predictions? I'm going to go 2-1 Netherlands. I think Italy's going to make this game fun. I think they're going to actually come out and challenge the Netherlands in this game. I think that when you look at the Netherlands, there's, a, a I think, a big talent disparity. I think they're just a better team. They have more depth. They're more explosive. But Italy has shown me something. I've enjoyed watching them play. I think they're going to push the Netherlands a little bit here, and it's going to be a two-to-one game in favor of the Dutch. All right, Chuck, I'm going to stick with you uh, for this next game. Uh, Germany versus Sweden. Maybe we should call this the Marcus Eredal derby. So (laughs) how do you think this is going to turn out? Do you think that we will see yet another installment in the Dutch-German rivalry in this tournament? This one, this was, this is a tough match for Germany. When you look at the possible teams that they could have faced Sweden is one that really I think could give them trouble Uh, in the end though I feel like Germany because of their efficiency because of how they approach the game and because of how clinical they can be they're going to have a little bit more skill and be able to pull out in my mind a 1-0 victory over Sweden but Sweden's going to make this a very difficult game they're going to push Germany very hard and they're going to be physical with Germany 
Tom, your thoughts? Exactly. This game has a nil-nil for about 85 minutes written all over it. Sweden staying tactically sound, defensively, thwarting off everything Germany has to throw at them, living on the counterattacks. But, you know, I do think Germany has that slight step in class, especially going forward. I'm going to say 1-0, and the goal is going to come after the 85th minute. 1-0 to Germany. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic, at least, for the uh, for the Germans. While I do think that this is going to be a game that is very, very close, I think that this will come down to a couple times where at least one of these teams end up cracking, and I think the first team that is going to crack will be Sweden. I think they will crack about the... 20th or 30th minute and then they probably will hold strong up until very late in the game i'm gonna say 2-0 to uh the national elf and we will get that dutch german rivalry in the semi-finals uh now moving on to norway versus england uh one of the most dominant teams in the tournament in england i will start off with my prediction i'm gonna say if Ada Hedeberg was here, is going to be a question that is asked a lot after England beats Norway 3-2. And I think that if Hedeberg was here, I would put England still probably winning, but it would probably look something like 3-2 or 4-3 after extra time. But you're missing one of the most key components at your disposal in your national side with Hegeberg uh, deciding to protest this World Cup, and I think England is going to take advantage of that. So, Tom, what are your thoughts? I'm actually going to play devil's advocate here a bit and just just kind of go back and say, even with the 3-0 win that England had over Cameroon, I honestly feel as if that scoreline did do them a bit of justice. I think that was just miles off of the best England uh, that we've seen in the past. And and I really do think Norway, even despite not having Hedeberg, really showed the better round of 16 performance uh, in their win against Australia. Uh, and I know that a lot of people, I would say odds on, would probably favor England in this match, but I honestly feel that uh, Norway looked much, much stronger in their last game. Um, and Kind of just going off that basic premise, you know, the stronger opponent you play in the previous round is more of a primer for the next round. And obviously Norway had a much harder task ahead of them in Australia than England did with Cameroon. And I just, that that England performance, you know, they definitely still show that they have holes, especially defensively. It just, it's just concerning. So with that said, I, I think that Norway can nip in two, a 2-1 two win here. Bold prediction there, Tom. Uh, Chuck, what are you thinking? I, I really like this Norway team. I, I like them a lot. I, I can't say enough good things about them. I think that they are absolutely a, a terrific team to watch. I think they're running into the wrong team at the wrong time. I'm predicting a 2-1 win for England. I think this game is going to be a little bit choppy. I think it's going to take a while for each team to kind of feel the other one out and, and figure out the best route to trying to, to score goals in this game. But I think ultimately England's going to make that breakthrough. They're going to get a couple of goals. And I think that's going to be not enough to, to edge Norway. I just, I really do like this Norway team. It, it's kind of funny. I've, I didn't come into this tournament wanting to root for Norway, but I absolutely have become a big fan of how they play. So, uh, 
anyone want to go first for this next one? Because I'm telling you right now, I don't want to make my prediction for this one at all. I will let whoever wants to go first on this one take their shot. I could do it. I'll hop in on this one, Jake. I, I This is a heavyweight match, and it's so unfortunate we are getting it in the quarterfinal round. Uh, France has really proven to be maybe the team that's most apt to be able to knock off the the United States. Uh, The problem is the United States is so damn good. They haven't shown it really as much as we would probably like them to show in this tournament. Uh, Rapino and Tobin Heath haven't really controlled the game from the flanks like I thought they would. Uh, Alex Morgan has been a little bit banged up. Uh, they've got Julie Ertz, who has also been a little bit banged up. But I think somehow, some way, Jill Ellis is going to find it within her to put her best 11 out on the field at the same time and edge France 3-2. to two. Now, that said, Jill Ellis is the one that's going to control how this game plays out. She has a little bit of trying to think she's the smartest person in the room, uh, that aura about her. And I think she has ignored using her best 11 for the most part together. But she has to in this game. She's going to have to find a way to get the best 11 players on the field. And if she doesn't, she's putting her entire team at risk because this France team is no joke. They are coming to win this World Cup on their home turf. In the end, though, I'll stick with the United States. To echo Chuck, like Jill Ellis, if you are listening to this, please do not start Lindsey Horan from the bench again. I think that was a massive mistake, and I think it showed in the midfield uh, in the Spain game. But, yeah, I mean, it. damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, I do think that the U.S. will have gone back to the drawing board and realized where they were so weak against Spain. And in France, you have an entirely different beast uh, than you do with Spain. So, I mean, they bring different things to this, to the table, although they might uh, look at the Spain game as a blueprint for how to cause the U S some problems as, as Chuck has said, you know, some underperformers, some holes defensively. I know that uh, Julie Ertz at the end of the, the last game, she pulled up with some kind of a calf cramp and it was, it was visible that she was moving slow and it was kind of very nerve wracking at the end when she was trying to track track back. Um, you know, and France have that ability to play direct as well with some of the pace and some of the height that they have on front. But I think that Jill Ellis and the coaching staff will be drilling that and drilling that into the players' heads before Friday kicks off. And I think that the U.S. will be well-prepared, well-equipped. Uh, well and actually, to just go ahead and quote Megan Rapino in her post-match interview from the Spain game, what you saw a lot of at the end was just the grit, top-quality grit that's going to get you a result in the World Cup. Um I don't know if it's going to be 3-2-2-1-4-3. I'm just going to go go with the safe bet here, stick with Chuck, because I think that France definitely has two goals in them. I'm going to say 3-2 as well to the U.S. I think they're going to get it over the line. So the last time I predicted a France game, I said that it was going to go into extra time. Let's just go ahead and take a step back and look at this scenario. We're talking about a France team that is playing in a World Cup at home. At the Parc de Prince in Paris, there is no possible bigger stage 
for this game other than a World Cup final? Because let's be perfectly honest, this game should probably be the World Cup final game. Judging by the quality play of both of these teams, it's going to really suck that one of them has to go home. In my mind, as much as the United States has improved, I think that there is something to be said for 50,000 people at the Parc de Prance screaming their heads off for this French national team, and who knows how many more in the streets of Paris, outside the stadium, screaming for their home team to win. And I think that's probably going to be the most intimidating environment for the U.S. possible. Now, am I saying that they aren't capable of playing in those environments? Absolutely not. But if I look at any game, any potential matchup, to scream penalties, it's going to be this one. My prediction is going to be the U.S. and France are going to end full-time at 1-1. At the end of extra time, it will be 2-2. And then the United States will beat France 5-2 on penalties. I'm not going to go out and like predict who is going to... Uh, like, score them, but Ali Nair is very good at penalties. Shout out to my girl from Connecticut. She's going to absolutely be bossing it in between the sticks. I just, I think that if we came down to penalties, I could see Henri scoring for France. I could see maybe one other uh, forward for France scoring. I don't know how many others could. Meanwhile, the U.S. has Rapino and Morgan and... As we previously mentioned, Lindsey Horan. Um, there's probably a lot of people on that squad that would do very well in a penalty shootout, and I don't know if that could be the same said for France. So that's going to be my prediction. 2-2 with the U.S. winning 5-2 on penalty kicks. So that is going to wrap up our uh, round of 16 recap for the Women's World Cup be sure to stay tuned uh, after the games this weekend. We will be putting out an episode going over those and then giving our predictions for the semifinals. But in the meantime, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck and Tom, where can they find you? You can catch me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. They can find me at TommyAdam71. And I promise, I know I've said it before, but... I will check it more, but I'm primarily on the Bavarian Football Works one. And for all of your latest high-quality transfer rumors, Bayern news, and German soccer content, be sure to check us out at our blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. So, from all of the podcasting division, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Be sure to like, rate, follow, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your high-quality audio content. And until next time when we're covering the semifinals of the Women's World Cup, We'll see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.